Welcome to Digital Yom, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst and author of Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life. And in this episode, we explore Jung's notion of the reality of the psyche and begin to understand the ways in which our inner world shapes and colors our experiences in the outer world. It's the human soul. That's the buried treasure. What follows in this episode was originally written as a blog post back in December of 2014. It was titled, The Inside and the Outside, Discovering the Reality of the Psyche. I've updated and expanded the original content for this episode. All that is outside also is inside, we could say with Goethe. But this inside, which modern rationalism is so eager to derive from outside, has an a priori structure of its own that antedates all conscious experience. It is quite impossible to conceive how experience in the widest sense, or for that matter, anything psychic, could originate exclusively in the outside world. The psyche is part of the inmost mystery of life, and it has its own peculiar structure and form like every other organism. Whether this psychic structure and its elements, the archetypes, ever originated at all is a metaphysical question and therefore unanswerable. The structure is something given, the precondition that is found to be present in every case. This quote from Jung is dense and complicated, but its subject is an important one, the reality and autonomy of the psyche. This is one of the fundamental ideas that Carl Jung introduced into psychology. The inner world, taught Jung, is not just a secondary reflection of our experiences in the outer world. Rather, it's a dimension of experience that makes as much of a claim on us and has as much of an impact on us as does our encounter with concrete material existence. In fact, instead of the inner world being a reflection of the outer world, the actual situation may be closer to being the reverse, insofar as we only become aware of the external world through the mediation of images that arise on the field of our consciousness, 
that is, through the activity of the psyche, the world within. In other words, when we look closely at the way we experience the world, it is hard to say where the dividing line between inner and outer actually lies. And this is why Jung says, all that is outside also is inside. And with this statement, he's challenging the notion that consciousness is simply a mirror for a more real material reality. For Jung, human beings are not born tabula rasa. That is, they're not blank slates that are merely filled in by experience. Our psyche is a creative agency that doesn't simply reflect reality, but actively shapes it. And so he goes on to say, but this inside, which modern rationalism is so eager to derive from outside, has an a priori structure of its own that antedates all conscious experience. And what he means here is that just as a human body comes into existence with a particular form, so the psyche possesses its own unique structure, its own inherent anatomy, we might say. And it's this psychic structure that makes it possible for human beings to have an experience of the world in the first place. Now, taking a step back for just a moment, we can recognize that the question at the heart of these considerations is this. How is it that we know things at all? Right? Just as there must be an eye to receive light, and which thus makes sight possible, so there must be a consciousness that receives and interprets the data of lived experience and thus translates things that happen into things that are known. Or, to put it another way, that turns events into experiences. And this is what Jung is pointing out when he says in the quote that we've been looking at, it is quite impossible to conceive how experience in the widest sense, or for that matter, anything psychic, could originate exclusively in the outside world. One way to visualize the creative and organizing activity of the psyche is to consider the example of a rear view mirror. When we look in a rear view mirror, the objects that we see are perceived by the mind as being behind us as we drive. But in actual fact, the mirror and the image in it are in front of us. And although we're face to face with the image, our minds automatically interpret it as approaching from behind. So on the one hand, there's an event viewing the image in the mirror in front of us. And on the other, there's the experience, in this case, perceiving the image as if it were behind us. 
external event and inner experience interact in such a way as to create the reality and the meaning of the moment. Of course, all this happens without our conscious intervention. The operation of the psyche is part of the workings of nature and is therefore, like the rest of nature, a self-moving power. As Alan Watts notes, nature is what works and moves by itself without having to be shoved about, wound up, or controlled by conscious effort. And just as the body performs its complicated functions, beating the heart, healing cuts and wounds, regulating temperature, and so on, without any direct assistance from its owner, just so is the situation with the psyche. And it is in part for this reason that Jung insisted that the human psyche was a great mystery, and one of which, unfortunately, we know far too little. The psyche, he wrote, is part of the inmost mystery of life, and it has its own peculiar structure and form like every other organism. And so we come into the world with an inborn capacity to unconsciously and automatically translate the chaos of life in the world into organized patterns. And this capacity is not learned, but it's with us from the very beginning. Research has shown, for instance, that infants have an incredible ability to recognize faces, even when there's little else that they're able to process visually. And there's even evidence that babies have an amazing ability to discern emotions in others. Something in us understands and interprets aspects of the world long before we are fully conscious of the world or even of ourselves. And by asserting the mystery of the psyche, Jung is at the same time denying that we can understand it by reducing it to being merely the effect of something physiological. The origin of the psyche, he asserts, is something that we can never discover. We only know that it exists, and it's part of the conditions of our human existence. And so he writes, whether this psychic structure and its elements, the archetypes, ever originated at all is a metaphysical question, and therefore unanswerable. The structure is something given, the precondition that is found to be present in every case. So what does all this mean? Is this just something of theoretical interest, something of concern only to specialists or scholars? Or does it have meaningful and even practical value for human life in general? Well, I think it means a number of things. First and foremost, it reminds us that there is an aura of the unknown to every aspect of our life, everything that we perceive. Not only this mysterious world into which we're thrown together, but our own 
inward depths as well. And while we tend to believe that we know ourselves the best of all things, the truth is that we are much more than we know or may ever know. As Jung states elsewhere, it is not I who create myself. Rather, I happen to myself. And this, in turn, means that our experiences, whether painful or pleasurable, are often doorways to a deeper understanding of ourselves and opportunities for growth and discovery. And there's still more that it can mean for us, right? Because our experience of the outer world is colored by the reality of the inner world, we have a share to a small but important degree in the ongoing creation and evolution of this world. What we do, however insignificant it may seem and however limited our sphere of influence may be, and even more importantly, what we become matters. Though we travel the world over to find the beautiful, says Ralph Waldo Emerson, we must carry it with us or we find it not. All that is outside also is inside. It's important, therefore, that we take the reality of the psyche seriously, which means, first of all, becoming better acquainted with those aspects of ourselves that we don't yet know very well, or maybe even don't like very much. Look for your other half, who walks always next to you, and tends to be what you aren't. So writes the poet Antonio Machado. And just this simple act of curiosity toward our own inner world, our thoughts, fantasies, moods, and ideas can allow us to be more compassionate with ourselves. For the reality of the psyche is, at the same time, the reality of the other that lives within us, who walks beside us and tends to be what we are not. This, of course, is easier said than done. And too often, our first reaction to the experience of the inner life is resistance and rejection. I shouldn't feel this way, we might say, or I shouldn't have thoughts like this. We get angry with ourselves and judge ourselves negatively when we're confronted by thoughts or feelings we don't like or that don't align with our conscious plans and goals. We wish we could simply change them and don't understand why we can't. But our thoughts and feelings, like our dreams and fantasies, are not always things that are created by us or willed by us. Rather, they happen to us. It is not I who create myself. Rather, I happen to myself. Now, does this mean that we have no control over our inner lives and 
that we're only the victims of our own minds and impulses? No. But what it does mean is that we are not the dictators of our own souls. We need to come into relationship with the other within as much as we would with anyone in our outer lives. We need to learn to respond to ourselves with patience and curiosity and not to demand perfection or purity from ourselves. And by learning to treat this other within with kindness and compassion and curiosity, we will at the same time be learning to strengthen our ability to respond to the other without in the same way. And that, of course, is and always has been something that is desperately needed in this world. Being human is by no means an easy thing. We're all thrown into this mystery together. And anything that can increase our understanding of ourselves and of each other is essential. The darkness around us is deep, wrote the poet William Stafford. The lesson of the reality of the psyche, of the interpenetration of our inner and outer worlds, teaches us that to confront this darkness, it is best to start by turning within. Because all that is outside also is inside, then our own honest attempt at self-understanding has the potential to become the light by which we are able to see. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have any comments or questions about anything you heard in this episode, or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter. And finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored on this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, available from Chiron Publications. Thanks for listening and take good care.